I like that music. I feel like you should be skipping up here or something like that. So it's very catchy. No, I'm not going to skip. Sorry. I'm a grandpa. I'm an old guy telling old dad jokes. Eric, welcome to the family. It's good to have you part of that. So. Hey, it's good to be with you. And uh, we're going to be talking about a, a fella that uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, for me, I haven't spent a lot of time dwelling on him. His name is Zachariah or Zacharias. You see it various ways, like Dave or David, Bob or Rob. It's Zechariah or Zacharias. And it's in Luke chapter 1. I invite you to have a Bible in hand. There's some in that little rack there in front of you, or if you brought your own, that would be even better yet. I'm using a tablet because that's what uh, Zechariah used. You'll see it here in a little bit in the text. <laughs> he wrote on a tablet. It says that, literally. So what could be more biblical than have an iPad? So I invite you to have that in hand. Uh, we want a, a journey together with him. He, he writes this wonderful psalm that we're going to read here and look at in just a moment. And it's a beautiful psalm of praise and honor to God. He ends with this, this word of peace that we brings us all the way back to the candle of today. And no matter what we go through as we approach Christmas, what Zacharias and Elizabeth is, are going to do is become parents to this little baby John. And John becomes the uh, forerunner of Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus, it says. So I think sort of the theme of this morning is preparing our way to Jesus at the uh, Christmas time. There are so many other things that want to eat away at that preparation, and we'll talk about those. But let me read through some of the texts here for us. You know, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So both Zacharias and Elizabeth are PKs. Uh, they're kids of priests. They, they come all the way back to the line of Aaron. So they are a righteous line. And uh, it was uh, an occasion of 24 different divisions there. It's thought to be 18,000 priests that were living and serving at that time. So that's a big, big population that's surrounding them there. And it says, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord for they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Uh, the context is that they had 18,000 priests, and so who's going to go in there? And there's only so many days in which they're able to go and offer this because it's a morning incense, an evening incense, and so they would cast a lot. And they really believe by casting lots that God is in the midst of that lot that is cast, and Scripture talks about that. Uh, they even chose the replacement for Judas by casting of a lot of sorts. And so it's choosing who would be the one. Zacharias faithfully serving all of his life as the priest, and the lot falls, and it comes up Zacharias. However they did that, I don't know if they write their names on it, I don't know how they did that, but Zacharias is chosen. It's the time of his life. This is a one-time experience in all of his life. Faithfully, old man at this point, living faithfully, blamelessly, he is chosen to go into the temple before the Holy of Holies where the uh, drape was, and there was a, a bowl of incense, and he would light the incense and he would be in there alone. This incense going up before God is an act of worship. So this is a one-time-in-a-lifetime experience. So it's, you know, it's powerful for Zacharias to be the one who was chosen by God. 
And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside the, the hour of incense. So you can see tens of thousands of people surrounding him uh, as he goes in there and makes this offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled, obviously, when he saw the angel. He's supposed to be in there alone. Who are you? And fear gripped him, of course. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, bear you a son. You'll give him the name of John. Can you imagine how many years he's prayed? God, please bring a baby into our lives, please. And Gabriel comes and makes this big announcement. It's huge. He, he gives the announcement in, the, in one of the most holy places of the Jerusalem city. It's amazing. And he then describes them. I'm going to drop down to verse 18 for the sake of time. And Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. See how more delicately he described his wife? He's obviously had premarital counseling. <laughs> for I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, Hold on, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I am the one who stands in the presence of God. I have sent to speak to you and to bring this good news, bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Oh, that's got a sting. Now let me summarize this preparation process of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I want to use it in a way that maybe will stick in some of our minds and our hearts. Some of you might remember this old movie of Clint Eastwood, the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Remember that? Okay. Thank you. This is kind of a group therapy where we talk back and forth. Just don't, anyways. So the good, the bad, the ugly. Let me show you the good, the bad, the ugly that happened in Zechariah and Elizabeth. And candidly, it's kind of a template. It's kind of a pattern. It's kind of a display of, frankly, what a lot of us will go through. And so the good, the bad, and the ugly is preparing the way that this pathway includes this uh, process that we have to go through. And it's this, this sense of, of, uh, of maturity that many of us have. There's this spiritual maturity of godliness that many of us are on this pathway. That's the good. The good is that we have this following of Jesus Christ. And there are many of us, sometimes we come to church, you think everybody's so bad and that's why we're here. No, there's many of us in this room who are so faithful and godly. I love this sense of what the scripture says about Zacharias. He says, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, and there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, as I read, and he had wife from the daughter of Aaron, and he was, and her name was Elizabeth. And then the summary statement that you would wish that God, if he wrote about you and me in the scriptures, I would pray and I would wish that God would say what he said about these two people. They were both righteous in the sight of God. God sees them the way other people don't see them. So it's that internal righteousness that they live in. Their motivation is pure and holy, walking blamelessly externally in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. So here's a, here's a faithful, godly Christ following, if I can use that term, even though Christ wasn't there at that time, having not been born, but that kind of following of what God wants for them. I would wish that for all of us, and many of us, I think many in this room probably have it. So that's good. There's the good. The problem is that even for the good, there's bad. So here's the bad that comes along. 
this, this pain of disappointment and sadness, the sense of loss. The Scripture then also describes this, this marriage relationship and the infertility between uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it says, but they had no child. That's how honest and open God is with this storyline. He doesn't sort of gloss over the bad that's going on in their lives because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. And this is the way the Lord has dealt with me. She said later in verse 25, she says, when he looked with favor upon me to take away the disgrace among men. So Elizabeth has been living with this feeling of disgrace, this feeling of shame, this feeling of embarrassment. She is an old woman, an advanced in years woman who has suffered this painful infertility where she would watch her friends, other family members easily have children and they would produce big families perhaps. And Elizabeth would go home to Zacharias and they would mourn and they would pray. They would pray, God, we've walked faithfully with you. We've, we've honored you with our lives. We are righteous in our motivation and we are blameless in our external behavior. So God, why are we suffering this way? There are many people today who are finding it hard to get to Jesus because they're sort of in this bad zone. Just this last couple of weeks, I had two conversations with two different families. And the one wife said, I need to talk to you. My daughter died and I've lost my faith and I'm desperate. And then after that, I talked to another family and the grandma of the baby told me about her daughter where the little three-year-old died. And she says, my daughter has been angry at God for 10 years. I mean, the, these are the things that, and she said, I've lost my faith, I'm angry at God. These are the bad things that even for good, godly, holy people like Elizabeth and, and, and uh, Zacharias, that, that they go through and, and that we may be going through it. You may have suffered some sort of loss, some sort of disappointment. And God says, you know, sometimes that's the pathway that I allow my people to go through. And frankly, I, I wish it was always perfect. I wish every day was, was glorious and we're always happy. But the reality check of this story is that faithful people still have bad days. And it's not a sign of sin. It's just something that God is doing. And what they don't know at this time is that God says, I've got a bigger plan that Zechariah and Elizabeth, you don't know about. You will have a child. It will be latter years of your lives, and he's going to be so significant, I want to write about him in the book because he's going to lead people to Jesus. Sometimes in the short-sighted view of my pain, I can't see the larger view of God's work. And what God invites us into in a story like this is to say, I, I, I see the beginning to the end. You just see the pain of the process of right now, but I see a beautiful pattern of my plan that's gonna be fulfilled. And sometimes we have to have that larger scope that's so hard to get there. And it's so hard to process that. And God brings people in our lives to help us. And then there's the ugly part of life. The ugly part is where Zacharias is standing here in the most holy place, offering this, this incense before God, an act of worship. Gabriel, the angel, shows up. He's fearful. I would be fearful. I would run out of there. I don't know what's going on. What's up with this? I get that Zacharias is having a hard time. And Gabriel comes and says to, to Gabriel, I mean, Zacharias says to Gabriel, he says these words, 
And Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain, that, that we will have a baby boy? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, and these words begin to sting, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak. So this is a form of discipline God's bringing upon him. And he says, you will be silent until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. This is a, this is a challenging thing. That when God presents before us, even in a setting like this, or perhaps a setting that you've been through, or I've been through, where God gives us this opportunity to do something great and big, and we say, God, how will I know? How, how can I know this? It's interesting, that word know, K-N-O-W, that he says, how will I know, is the Greek word gnosko, and we get from that word gnostic, and those who do not believe or know that there is a God, we call agnostic. And so, in a sense, Zacharias is saying, I am an agnostic on this, God. I don't know. And, and what I fear for a lot of us, I fear it for myself, is that I have an agnostic faith. I, I walk blamelessly as best I can. I want to be righteous before you, God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But God, every time you present something bigger than me or harder than I can do or a, a, a ministry that is beyond my scope, I have this agnostic faith like Zacharias that I don't think that, God, you can really pull this off. And so God is inviting Zacharias into a bigger world of a Gnostic faith, that is a believing faith, of a knowing faith, that I'm going to believe that you're going to do what you say. And at Christmas time, it's an opportunity for you and for me to kind of reacquaint ourselves with the God of miracles and the virgin birth of Mary and this birth of John and and the miracle of the angels praising God from heaven. All the miraculous things that surround the baby Jesus that God says, even in the ugliness of my agnostic faith, God, I still want to believe. And what I, what I love about the passage is that even though Zacharias is being disciplined by the angel, you won't speak for nine months, and sort of God's saying, I'm going to really, you know, kind of spank you on this thing, but I'm not going to disqualify you. I love the fact that we can have a weak faith on occasion, I can have a disappointing faith. I can have what I call an agnostic faith that I don't know that, God, you can pull this off. I want to believe, but I don't believe. And to know that God says, you know, Dave, okay, it's going to be painful in the process, but I'm going to not pull away my plan from you just because you have a weak faith. I still want to do a great thing. And God did not say, okay, I'll choose somebody else to have John. I'll go to another couple of the ironic line, and I'll choose someone else that will be the parents of John. No. He says, I still want to complete my plan through you and Elizabeth, Zacharias, but you're not going to speak, but I'm still going to do my thing. And I love the fact that even though my faith can be weak at times, it's not like God says, okay, I reject you. It's not rejection from God. It's just a correction from God because he still wants to work through you and me. So be be affirmed in a faith that even when weak at times and even when disciplined in that faith, that God still wants to work 
He still wants to accomplish. And so as we go through these, this journey, there are these three paths down which all of us may be going, one or more. The good, where we are faithfully obedient. The sort of the, the bad, where there's this painful loss. Or maybe the ugly, where we recognize within ourselves there's been sort of a failure that has occurred in my life. But God, I still want to believe. I still want you to do a work. I still want to meet Jesus. So he's gone through this experience here. And then this is where Zacharias then has this wonderful praise. This is what I love about him. He's been through this, he's been through the ringers, the excitement of going into this temple, once in a lifetime thing. This is huge. He meets a Gabriel, the angel. The angel sort of spanks him for his lack of belief. And he comes out, and you think this guy is demoralized of this, this, this emotional. A drench of all this pain and excitement that's mixed together. But he comes out and he gives this wonderful praise. Let me read the praise that's in the NLT. I'll read it from the NLT version where he talks about this uh, excitement that he's going through. He says, then his, then his father Zechariah, father of John, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised. Though as holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies, from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness, for as long as we live. And you, my little son, look at the little baby John, he's been born, eight days old, being circumcised. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you have prepared the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins, because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from the heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. I love this, this psalm. This is so rich. I, I've never taught on this psalm in all my years of doing this. But the more I read this, the more I was blessed by the context of Zechariah's heart after all he's been through, and then to say this right off the top of his head. It's not like he spent, you know, a bunch of days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a sermon, Elizabeth, leave me alone so I can... <laughs> he just, right off the top of his head, he has a psalm of praise. So what I love about this psalm is the very first word is praise. The very last word is peace. You know it's Holy Spirit-driven when there's an alliteration of praise to peace. That's, it says there he was Holy spirit filled when he said that. That's more of an inside joke, sorry. But I love this word. Let me just talk about this word for peace. The Greek word for peace is Irene. We get the, the woman's name Irene from it. We get the English word serene from it. And the, the, the root word of Irene, without getting too much into the weeds for some of us, the root word is a verb iro. And that root word iro of Irene means to join together. So the idea of peace literally means to join together. It means to join together my heart that may be broken. It means to join together with a friend where I may be estranged. 
It means to be joined together with a God who sent his son to give me peace, as we read earlier in some of the scriptures and sang about. So Irene is the idea of peace. Now, it's interesting, as I was studying that, I came across this sort of obscure little illustration that may or may not work. You know, an oyster sitting down in the ocean, there's this little creature, a little crustacean of, of sorts, called a whelk, W-E-L-K, a whelk. What a whelk does is this. A whelk lands on top of that oyster and sits there. And then a whelk has sort of an auger-like tooth that will just begin to drill into the shell of this oyster. And the oyster's just sitting there, sort of minding his own business, making a pearl. And suddenly he feels this sort of vibration on the top of his shell. And he thinks, I've got this hard shell. I, I know nothing can penetrate me. I am so strong. I'm sure, you know, they think those thoughts. I'm pretty convinced. Science says that they think those thoughts. Right? And so that little whelk begins to drill, and finally he penetrates the shell, and he gets to the oyster. Can you imagine if you have the mind of the oyster, this one, whoa, 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 I feel something on my back. There's something taking bites out of my body. And eventually that whelk will consume bite by bite that oyster in that shell, having drilled the little hole. And I thought in a metaphorical world, okay, here we go, there's some of us who have this hardened shell, and, and we want to come with peace to Christmas, peace with God. But there's this little whelk-like thing of finances, of loss, of pain, of disappointment, of tension, of anxiety, of relationships. That's little whelk-like experience of those things beginning to penetrate my heart and wants to piece by piece take away what God has done and what God wants to do. And so what we want to do is be free of the whelks, free of those things that would penetrate our hearts so that we're no longer one heart. Literally, in, in Colombia, the word peace means to be of one heart, to, that we're no longer of one heart, that God joins us together with himself and with others and within ourselves. So what does Zacharias do? Let me show you, give this pattern of how Zacharias overcomes the things that he's experienced. The first thing that he does is he has a grateful attitude. He begins with praise. I want to praise my God for doing these things. It's interesting. I read, uh, as I was uh, studying about this, just two weeks ago, I saw a headline of a Harvard professor, Dr. Chopra, who had this article. And in this article, he said, let me tell you what's better than winning the lottery. And I was intrigued by that. What's better than winning the lottery? As I read through it, he says, the best thing you can do, much better. In fact, he studied, I studied people who have won the lottery, and initially they're happy, but I noticed the baseline that after about 10 years, they're no more happier than anybody else in life. He said, I found the thing that makes people the happiest is a heart of gratitude. He said, if you have a heart of gratitude, you're likely to live 25 more years. But wow, a heart of gratitude. Well, let me just say, if any of you win the lottery, I would be glad to take that money and let you find gratitude that would help you to live a longer life. See, isn't that kind of how, how the carnal mind works? That's sort of the ugliness of my life. And so I'm so sorry I even said that. We'll edit that out for the purposes of later filming. <laughs> but God says, I want to give you that. You know, one of the things that we do, kind of a little simplistic thing, is 
whenever in our family, we're always sitting around the table at a, one of our birthdays. Someone's having a birthday, and we sit around the table, and, they, and inevitably the question is asked of the birthday kid, tell us one thing you're thankful for this last year. And we have to think, what, what am I thankful for? A heart of gratitude. And then once we say something like that, and it's really easy now that we have a grandchild, I say, oh, it's Camille. <laughs> it's a, and then what are, you going to, what are you going to be thankful for or looking forward to for next year? You know, it's simple. It's a simple thing, right? But it forces my heart to move away from the negative to the positive. I love this story. I read this uh, just this last week. They were in the news. Magic Johnson, this all-star Hall of Famer basketball player and his wife, Cookie. Uh, they've, they've had a real change. You know, Magic Johnson, for the years that I watched him play on the Lakers, you know, there was kind of an immorality that was part of his makeup, and it was not very pretty. Then he had a sort of meeting with Jesus, and now he's retired from the Lakers, and now he's uh, a, a pastor of sorts. He preaches, and he said this, he says, God has really blessed me. Today marks 30 years of living with HIV. And that was, I still remember that news account when he came on TV and announced. And that was back when HIV was like, it was like the COVID of the day. I mean, that was a very amazing time. He says, I thank the Lord for keeping me, giving me strength, and guiding me for 62 years, but uh, especially the last 30. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned to trust in God. Um, it's truly a blessing when you know what direction you're going in. It's such a change for me because when I go to meet and talk before a corporation, I start off by praising the Lord. You can touch somebody else when you praise the Lord. And this is the attitude of Zacharias. Praise God for what you're doing in my life. He says, blessed be the Lord God who has visited us and accomplished his purpose. The word blessed, eulogos, we get the word eulogy, say good words about somebody at a memorial service. I wanna say good words about my God. He has disciplined me in the holy place, but I still say praise God. I wanna have a heart of gratitude. And after he has a heart of gratitude, he begins to look to his past. In his past, he sees the blessings that God has given to him in the past. It says, and as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, he knew the word. We need to be students of the scriptures so we know what God has said. We know who God is. We know how God wants to work. The more we bathe our hearts and our minds in scripture, the more my mouth and my heart will easily speak of those things that God has said that goes back thousands of years. So he says, from his holy prophets from of old, he knew this right off the top of his head, and he quotes, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. And what Zacharias is doing. He says, God, I remember what you said in the past. I remember you had a man by the name of Abraham, the very first Jewish man. And with Abraham, you said, I will make a covenant to bless you, to prosper you with this land, and to give you many, many, many children, thousands and thousands of generations of people that will come through you. I remember, God, you made that covenant with him when you burned that cow. You cut the cow and you put him right through it, and you alone were the the uh, arbiter and the keeper of that covenant. I remember that you said you would bless us, you would give us land, you would give us seed, and God, you have done that. When we can look back to the moment when we encountered God and God made a covenant with us, that's a blessing. 
One of the ways that I overcome the ugly and the bad is to look back at the covenant that God has made with me. You know, I've made no secret of when I've been up here before, sometimes I've complained about my pool and I've offered to give it away and all that kind of stuff, you know, and no one's ever taken me up on it. And so I complain about these things and sometimes I'll be sitting there sort of my quiet time in the morning and I'll think about all these things I complain about. I still got the sciatica thing going on and I, we took Camille to the zoo, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, Santa Ana Zoo, it takes like five minutes. And so, you know, we showed her all the things that are, and I would carry her and then later that day, I'm sitting there having to lay down because my back aches so much. And I'm saying, God, I'm so sick and tired of the pain. Sick and tired of the pain, sick and tired of the pool. God, why don't you do something about these things? And then God spoke to me. He says, David, aren't you thankful that you have a granddaughter? Aren't you thankful that you have a home? Aren't you thankful for the provisions I've given to you here in, in Orange County for the last 25 years? Aren't you thankful for a beautiful wife, wonderful children, son-in-law, grandchildren? Aren't you thankful? And God sort of shifted my thinking to look back and say, God, you have been good to me. Thank you. It begins to shape my heart and my mind to no longer be the one who's focused on the ugly and the bad, but the one who focuses on the one who is good and what he's done for me. And then secondly, he says, I want you to reflect on the present of what you're here to do. Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? He says this about his baby John. He says he wants in the psalm, he says, to, to grant that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him. I'm here to serve him, God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. For you will go on before John, you little baby John, you eight-day-old little baby John will go on before uh, to prepare the way for Jesus. And here's the key. This is what we are all here to do, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness or by the forgiveness of their sins. Let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the only reason you're still breathing, the only reason I'm still alive, is God says, I want you to tell somebody about the knowledge of salvation that is gained through the salvation through the forgiveness of your sins. That is it. That is the core, to prepare the way for Jesus so that people can meet Jesus and let Jesus be the forgiver of their sins. There's no higher purpose than that. We may make money. We may be succeeding in our business. We may be having great, great, great grandchildren. We may be just fabulously successful in so many ways. But no matter the classification economically or socially or ethnically, there is nothing more important to the followers of Jesus than this to serve him by making his salvation known through the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. That is our calling. I pray for my neighbors on either side that they would come to Jesus. I pray for my neighbor that drives me nuts that he would come to Jesus. Because Jesus, you're the most important thing in my life. Why wouldn't I want everyone to know that? I need to every day say, God, give me opportunities to make the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. God, open the door for me that that would be my calling to serve you in that way. We need to be like John, leading people to Jesus so that I can finally then trust in his provision for the future, that in the future he would do these things. Notice how he's looked to the past. He's looked at the present to serve him. Now he's looking to the future. This is what the psalm then concludes with this. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the uh, uh, sunrise from on high will, will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide us 
guide our feet for the way of peace, to find that peace, to be joined with God. And then Isaiah 60 talks about this future thing. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Zacharias referencing back to this great prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Zacharias lived. And the glory of the Lord has, been risen, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will uh, cover the earth, and the deep darken the people. And the Lord said, uh, and the Lord will... will uh, rise upon you, and his glory will s appear uh, upon you. And uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, I can't even read the rest of it. You can just read it on your own. But <laughs> my eyes are failing me. I'm getting older by the minute up here as I stand. The longer I stand, the older I get. And what Zacharias is doing is saying, I want you to see into the future. He talks about the past covenant that he established with God, that he joined with God. He talks about his present to be knowledge of salvation given for the forgiveness of sins. That's what you and I are about every day. And we think, God, someday the light will shine back. We look to the future, the promise of the second coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I love C.S. Lewis' quote. Let me quit with this. C.S. Lewis once said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those precisely who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And he says, to aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. What you and I need to think is that yes, there is a day when the Christ that we believe in will come back, the Messiah. But in the meanwhile, I'm with John, making the knowledge of salvation known through the forgiveness of sins so that others can have a covenant with God, a joining together, a peace with him to know him and serve him. One of the beautiful ways that we continue to live out that faith is through communion. I'm going to read the text that comes as a result of the communion that God wants for us. Here's what, notice what the, the Apostle Paul does as we prepare. You have the cups that you brought in with you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And much as Zacharias, and here's a little tie-in, a little parallel if you don't mind, Zacharias looked back to the covenant, he remembered the covenant with Abraham, and he says, but today I'm here to make the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins known, so that when the day comes and Christ comes back, the Messiah returns and the light shines into this darkened world and reveals himself to us once again. Communion is just like that. Communion is looking back, he says, to remember. I remember the cup. I remember the, the blood of Jesus. I remember the covenant. The time, I remember the time when I put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, who died for you in your place so you can have salvation now and know that the day you die, you go to heaven. If you've never done that, we invite you to believe in Jesus now. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, let's not have the agnostic faith. Let's have this believing faith, the knowing faith, 
that I remember the covenant I made with Jesus when he took me in as his child and saved me, forgave me, and gave me new life. So communion is looking back at that. Communion is also present. He says, I want you to examine yourself now. Examine yourself. Is there anything as, that's an obstacle between my Lord and myself? Like Zacharias in the altar of incense where, God, I don't believe you. I don't think I can believe you. But God, forgive me for my unbelief. Or whatever that area may be that maybe is a, it's a little bit of a scar of my life. And God says, I want to bring you back. I want you back with me. I love you too much to let you get away. Please come back. So we examine for that. And then he says, we do this as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look to the future. Communion is a chance to remember, to examine, and proclaim the Lord until he comes. So let's take the elements. The first of the element is the bread. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ that little human body that we celebrate at Christmas time. That little baby Jesus. Imagine Mary holding God incarnate in her arms. It's just stunning to think about that. So holding that little baby Jesus, that body that would be on that cross, and Mary stood at the cross and watched that little baby Jesus as a grown man die for her sins, die for our sins as we confess our sins to him. So we remember that. We remember the day that Jesus became my Savior by eating this bread together. So eat it together. And Paul writes, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, remember me, God says. Oh, never lose sight of me. For all the distractions of this world, the whelks that want to drill down and to take part of my heart, no, all the things that want to eat away at my heart, God, I remember you. And he says, take this cup to remember the sacrifice of my blood in your behalf. Thank you, Jesus. And with Zacharias, we say, Father, thank you. I praise your name that you sent your son Jesus into this world, that we, like the little baby John, can be those who lead and prepare the way for others to meet Jesus. Father, whether our lives are good in the bad of loss and pain or the ugliness of maybe some failure, in every case, you love us and you want to win us back and draw us close. So let us remember you, Father, always, that today we are here as people who love you and make your salvation known for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to echo that message for all who would listen and hear, that you would draw others to yourself as well. And through this cup and this bread, we thank you for your gracious kindness to make a covenant with us to join us to you with peace. And I pray it in Christ's name.